As I'm sure you know, and I'm not telling you anything, there are many critics of the Bible in our world today. They say the Bible is antiquated, or it's out of touch, or it's no longer relevant, or it is scientifically unsophisticated. They say these kinds of things in an attempt to dismiss God's Word. But this is really nothing new. God's Word has been attacked ever since Genesis chapter 3, when Satan tried to put doubts into Eve's mind concerning what God had said. Satan wanted to get Eve to doubt what God had said because Satan knows that when God's word is undermined, then there is no foundation upon which to stand. His approach today is to undermine the Bible by suggesting that there are intellectual difficulties, there are errors, or there are contradictions in the Bible. I mean, Who in here hasn't heard someone say something like this? Well, the Bible is full of contradictions. The Bible is full of errors. The Bible is full of mistakes. The vast majority of the time, when people say things like that, they aren't even able to give you one specific or concrete example. But that's a convenient way to attempt to dismiss what the Word of God has to say. However, there are places in the Bible that may appear at first glance to be saying things that are contradictory or erroneous. Whenever a person encounters such places in Scripture, his or her presuppositions will determine how those passages are handled. You see, if you want to believe that the Bible has errors or contradictions or mistakes— then you will jump on passages like that to try to reinforce your preconceived ideas. But if you are willing to do a little research and let the facts speak for themselves, you will find that the supposed errors and contradictions have good answers and explanations. There is an example of that kind of situation in the text to which we come this morning. Please turn with me in your Bible to Mark chapter 10 as we conclude our look at this great chapter of Mark's gospel. Our text is verses 46 through 52, so please follow along as I read these verses for us. Mark chapter 10, verse 46. Now they came to Jericho. As he went out of Jericho with his disciples, the he, of course, is Jesus, so as Jesus went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then many warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still. And commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man, saying to him, Be of good cheer, rise, he is calling you. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. So Jesus answered and said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabboni, that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately 
He received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. At first glance, this seems like a fairly straightforward story. And you may be wondering why I began the message by talking about supposed errors and contradictions in the Bible. Well, you wouldn't know by reading this passage alone, but the issue becomes clear when you compare this account with the account in Matthew and Luke. Back up with me to Matthew chapter 20, and I'll show you what I mean. The previous gospel writer, Matthew, records this same story in Matthew chapter 20. Beginning in verse 29, and we read Matthew's account. Now, as they went out of Jericho, a great multitude followed him. And behold, two blind men sitting by the road, when they heard that Jesus was passing by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. Then the multitude warned them that they should be quiet, but they cried out all the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. So Jesus stood still and called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight, and they followed him. That is Matthew's account of the story we read in Mark chapter 10. And it is similar, though not identical, with what Luke recorded in Luke chapter 18. So turn over, turn over there for just a moment, past Mark's gospel, to the gospel of Luke, chapter 18. And notice Luke's account of this story. Verse 35, Luke chapter 18, verse 35. Then it happened, as Jesus was coming near Jericho, that a certain blind man sat by the road begging. And hearing a multitude passing by, he asked what it meant. So they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by, and he cried out, saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then those who went before warned him that he should be quiet, but he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he had come near, he asked him, saying, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, Receive your sight, and your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. This is Luke's account of the same story we want to consider this morning in Mark's gospel. Just a casual reading of each of these accounts may not alert you to the difficulty, but if you compare the records closely, you will notice two issues that need to be resolved. First of all, Mark and Luke mention only one blind man, and Matthew says there were two. That's one issue. The second issue is the location of the miracle. Matthew and Mark say the miracle took place as Jesus was leaving Jericho, but Luke says it took place as Jesus was approaching Jericho. Notice verse 35 here in Luke 18. 
It says, then it happened as Jesus was coming near Jericho that a certain blind man sat by the road begging. So Luke says it was as Jesus was approaching Jericho. Matthew and Mark say it happened as he was leaving Jericho. Boy, do critics of the Bible love things like this. How do we resolve these apparent contradictions? Well, it's really not that difficult. It is clear that there were two blind men, as Matthew says, but Bartimaeus was the most vocal of the two, and he acted as the spokesman for both of them. That is why Mark and Luke only mention him. By the way, we have this same kind of scenario uh, in, in the Gospels several times, and we have seen this same kind of scenario in our study of the Gospel records through the years. For example, Matthew chapter 8 tells the story of Jesus casting demons out of two men. But Mark and Luke only mention one of the two men who is evidently more dominant than the other. That, that's the story of the, you know, the, the demoniac who was in the tombs and crazy and wild and all of that. So Matthew said there were two, but Mark and Luke only mention one. That's the same thing with this story. Matthew tells us about both of them, but Mark and Luke zero in on Bartimaeus. The second issue is also fairly easy to resolve, though it may not seem so at first. Matthew and Mark say this miracle took place as Jesus was leaving Jericho, but Luke says it took place as Jesus was approaching Jericho. How can both be true? An understanding of the geography of the region clears up the picture perfectly. During the first century, there were actually two Jerichos that were in close proximity to each other. There was the Old Testament Jericho, which was God said should never be rebuilt, and there was the New Testament Jericho. The Old Testament Jericho was just a mound from the ancient city. The technical term for archaeologists or from archaeologists is a tell. If you ever, those of you who've traveled in Israel know exactly what I'm talking about. And those of you who someday will, you will see tells everywhere, mounds. And those ruins can still be seen today. I've seen them several times on my trips to Israel. The New Testament Jericho was inhabited was the inhabited city during Jesus' day. As I said, they are very close to each other, and those who have been to Israel have seen that with their own eyes. So the simple solution to the apparent discrepancy is that Jesus was going out of the Old Testament Jericho, and he was entering into the New Testament Jericho. Thus, Matthew and Mark are correct that the miracle took place as they were leaving Jericho, and Luke is correct when he says that the miracle took place as they were entering Jericho. It is also possible that the events are telescoped for us so that Christ first encountered the blind men on his way into the city, but the healing took place as he was departing. The point is this. There is no reason, beloved, there is no reason to panic when you encounter these kinds of apparent discrepancies. As I mentioned earlier, whenever a person encounters such places in Scripture, his or her presuppositions will determine how those passages are handled. If you want to believe the Bible has errors or contradictions, 
then you will jump on things like this to reinforce your preconceived ideas. But if you're willing to do a little research and let the facts speak for themselves, you will find that the supposed errors and contradictions have very good answers and explanations. So with all that as background, let's, let's go back to our text in Mark 10 to consider the story as Mark recorded it for us there. Mark chapter 10. Verse 46. Mark tells us, Now they came to Jericho. Remember now, Jesus and his disciples and a huge throng of people left Galilee quite a while ago. They're making this journey south because they're making this pilgrimage to be in Jerusalem for Passover. This was a very common scenario in the first century. So they came to Jericho. The they there is not merely a reference to Jesus and his disciples. It's this huge multitude. They came to Jericho as Jesus went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude. Blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. Now let me remind you that we are considering an event that took place right near the end of Jesus' ministry. In fact, the next event recorded here in Mark's gospel, as well as in Matthew's gospel, is the triumphal entry of Jesus into the city of Jerusalem on what we call Palm Sunday. So it is almost certain that this statement about Jesus leaving Jericho is telling us that this was the last time Jesus was ever there, and he's now heading to Jerusalem to the crucifixion. As was often the case, he had a great multitude of people following him. Many of these people had followed him all the way down from Galilee, and they would be among those who were gathered on Palm Sunday in anticipation of what Jesus was going to do as he entered Jerusalem on a colt. So these are, these are the, last, <coughs> the last days of Jesus' ministry and his life here on the earth before the crucifixion. And it seems that the multitude is sensing that something big is just around the corner. They know that. They sense that. That's why there are so many following him all the way from Galilee, way up north. And that's why there are so many that were gathered on Palm Sunday. Things are building to a crescendo. Jesus is leaving Jericho for the last time. And he is beginning the approximately 18-mile trek up the Jericho Road to Jerusalem. But before they even got out of town, Jesus was intercepted by the request of two blind men sitting alongside the road. The spokesman for the two is named for us here in verse 46, Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. Actually, the phrase the son of Timaeus is simply a translation of the guy's name because Bartimaeus literally means Bar in Aramaic is son and Timaeus, so son of Timaeus, and it's translated for us, the son of Timaeus. Just like uh, you, you, I'm sure all of you have heard of uh, the Jewish practice in their culture of Bar Mitzvah. So Bar Mitzvah is literally Bar, son, mitzvah, commandment, son of the commandment. It's when a Jewish young man uh, becomes a son of the commandment. It's when he reaches uh, uh, approximately reaches adulthood or when he's seen as starting to enter toward adulthood. So Bartimaeus simply means the son of Timaeus, 
That's the man that is in view here in Mark's account. Verse 47 tells us, And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. It is interesting that there were actually two blind men together on this occasion, just as there were two who were together back in chapter 9 of Matthew's gospel where he records an event very similar to this one. This probably indicates that men or women who were afflicted with these kinds of infirmities would band together for support. We see the same kind of thing in Luke's gospel when Jesus is approached by ten lepers at the same time who asked Jesus to heal them. People with serious physical afflictions back in that day often banded together for support because it was not uncommon for them to be seen as outcasts. So their physical affliction wasn't their only problem. Their physical infirmity wasn't their only problem. Their physical affliction often resulted in social and relational alienation. And that's why we see them banding together. Mark tells us that they, or specifically Bartimaeus, addressed Jesus as son of David. That is clearly a messianic title. And it is significant that Jesus was addressed this way. These men had no doubt heard about the many things Jesus had done and the many miracles he had performed and the many healings he had accomplished. So they were convinced in their minds he was the Messiah. Who knows? Maybe they even knew about the first phrase of Isaiah uh, 35.5, which says that the Messiah, when he comes, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. If they did know that text of Scripture, then it surely gave them hope that Jesus could do something about their desperate situation of blindness. So they cried out for mercy. Bartimaeus, as the spokesman, calls out to Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on us. By the way, whenever people call Jesus the Son of David, it infuriated the religious leaders of the day. They didn't want to accept the fact that Jesus was the Messiah. He was a threat to them. He was a threat to their power, a threat to their positions. So they hated it when people called Jesus by this messianic title, Son of David. But many people in the land were becoming convinced that's what Jesus was, that he was the Messiah. That's who he was, the Son of David. Many were becoming convinced However, that doesn't mean that the people were, submitting, uh, were willing to submit to him and obey him and love him. Many who saw him as the Messiah simply wanted him to overthrow Rome and provide them with free food and heal their sicknesses and things like that. They wanted him to serve them and their hearts, desires, and their wants and their wishes. They weren't interested in serving him. So just because many of the people were convinced that Jesus was the Messiah doesn't mean that their hearts were right and their motives were right. Many just wanted him for what they could get out of him. This does bring up an interesting point as you study the Gospels. And it is this. Not everyone Jesus healed, not everyone Jesus healed ended up becoming a true follower of his. 
What I'm saying is, Jesus didn't only heal people who were willing to become his followers. He healed out of compassion for people, to meet people's physical needs. He healed to reach out to people, to minister to them in a tangible way, a practical way. But he didn't use his healing power as sort of a carrot on a string to manipulate people into becoming his followers. His healing was often simply an expression of mercy, which is what these blind men were asking for when they cried out to Jesus. According to Matthew's account, they said, Have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. It's impossible to know with certainty what they meant by the title Lord. Have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. That Greek word can be used in a variety of ways. It can mean sir, as in a title of respect. It can mean master, as in a subservient relationship. Or it can mean God, as in deity. We don't know for sure how they were using the term. At the very least, they were using the word as a title of respect toward Jesus. And it seems clear from the way they responded later that they saw themselves as under the lordship of Jesus. But we can't say with certainty that they believed he was God in human flesh. However, they did consider him to be the Messiah. That's clear because that is why Bartimaeus called him the son of David. Verse 48 tells us, Then many warned him to be quiet. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. As I read this, I had to wonder why the multitude warned him to be quiet. It raised a number of questions in my mind. Was it because the multitude thought Jesus was on a tight schedule and had to get to Jerusalem without any more interruptions? After all, Luke 9.51 tells us that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. The disciples knew he was on a mission. They knew he was going there. So maybe that was why they were saying, be quiet, he doesn't have the time. Or maybe... Was it because the multitude thought Jesus shouldn't be bothered by these two men who, have, who may have been seen merely as beggars wanting Jesus to give them some money? We don't know the answers to these kinds of questions, but it is interesting that all three of the synoptic gospels stress the fact that some of the members of the multitude sternly told these men to be quiet. But this only prompted Bartimaeus to cry out louder and all the more. I mean, think about it. This was their chance. And they did not want to miss it. They were determined to get Jesus' attention one way or the other. It's likely that they had heard what Jesus had done for a couple other blind men earlier in his ministry. Let me show you what I mean. Go back to Matthew's Gospel again, this time chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, verse 27. Matthew tells us, when Jesus departed from there, two blind men followed him, crying out and saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. And when he had come into the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, let it be to you. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, saying, See that no one knows it 
But when they had departed, they spread the news about him in all that country. Now this sounds like the same event as the one we were considering in Mark chapter 10, but it's not the same event. Matthew does tell us about the same event, and we read that earlier in, over in chapter 20 of his gospel, but this is not the same event. However, it does show us that Jesus had already given sight to a couple of blind men earlier in his ministry, and the last phrase of verse 31 tells us that they, they spread the news throughout the land. The news of him spread throughout the land. Therefore, it is almost certain that the two blind men in Mark 10 would have heard about this incident. So when they heard that Jesus was in their town, their region of Jericho, and passing by, they used the same appeal that these two men had used. They cried out, Have mercy on us, son of David. Now back to our story in Mark chapter 10. You can't... You can't fault Bartimaeus for being so aggressive and insistent. I mean, think about it. This was their one chance. This was it. They knew what Jesus had done for those two other men that we just read about in Matthew's gospel, and they were hoping desperately that he would do the same thing for them. Try to imagine. I mean, really try to imagine what it would be like to be blind probably your entire life, and then have the opportunity to be healed. I don't think we can relate. They were frantic. They didn't want Jesus to slip by without without at least appealing to him for the same mercy he had shown to those other two blind men earlier. So Bartimaeus cried out all the more, verse 48 tells us here of Mark 10. And then verse 49 tells us, so Jesus stood still. Don't pass by those words too quickly. Jesus stood still. Picture in your mind, huge throng of people, mass chaos, crowds, people talking, noise. And then Jesus stops and stands still. He heard their cries, and it got his attention. This is tremendously encouraging to me because it is very easy for us to think that Jesus is so busy with so many things that there is no way he will hear us when we call out to him. Have you ever thought that way? Probably. It's easy for us to think Jesus has so much going on in this universe And so much going on in this world that my prayers are really not that important to him. Beloved, whenever you are tempted to think that way, remember this phrase here in Mark 10. And remember 1 Peter 5, 7, which says, Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Literally, casting all your care upon him, for it matters to him about you. It does matter to Jesus. He does care. Don't believe the lie that says he's too busy. He's too distracted. He doesn't care. He does care. Now that doesn't mean that he will give us everything we ask for because frankly, our perspective is limited 
And we don't always know what is best. This is what Romans 8 says very specifically. We don't always know what to pray for. We don't always know how to pray. But he does care. And he does hear. And it does matter to him. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man, saying to him, Be of good cheer, rise. He is calling you. Can you imagine how his, Bartimaeus, or both of the men's, can you imagine how their hearts must have been pounding out of their chests? No, you can't. And neither can I. This this was the moment they had longed for and talked about and prayed for and dreamed of for who knows how long. And here it is. Jesus calls them forward. No wonder verse 50 says what it does. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. This was the moment Bartimaeus had dreamed of. But it's possible that he may have assumed that this would never happen. How would these men ever be able to find Jesus and get to him? Think about it. He traveled around all the time. He was an itinerant preacher, always on the move, always moving from place to place, and they were blind. They couldn't traverse the hills and the valleys of Israel to try to get to Jesus. But here he was, passing through the city of Jericho and calling out to them. Not only did Jesus call them forward, he even asked them the question they probably thought they would never hear their entire lives. Verse 51, so Jesus answered and said to him, what do you want me to do for you? Well, Bartimaeus knew exactly what he wanted to say because he probably had rehearsed it a thousand times in his mind. If I ever get the chance, if I ever get the opportunity, this is what I want to say. Verse 51, the blind man said to him, Rabboni, that I may receive my sight. I bet he couldn't get that out of his mouth quickly enough. Lord, I just want to see. Heal our eyes. However long they had been blind, and it may have been from birth, they had wondered what it would be like to have their eyes healed. They wondered what it would be like to have sight. They wondered if they would ever see and most likely assumed that they wouldn't. Their, their minds, no doubt, had, had often been consumed with thoughts of seeing. They had contemplated the question, what would it be like to see? Sight is such a precious gift, and it's one that we take for granted unless we have some difficulty with our eyes. But these men didn't take sight for granted because they didn't have it. Understandably, they desperately wanted it. So Bartimaeus answered as the spokesman for both of them when he said, Rabboni, that I may receive my sight. Verse 52 tells us, Then Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. Literally, your faith has saved you. And immediately... He recovered his sight and followed Jesus on the road. Matthew tells us in his account that Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes. 
So that means Jesus healed the blindness of these men with just a touch. As we read earlier in Matthew 9, he did the same thing with the blind men in that incident. Healed their eyes by touch. But consider this. In John chapter 9, he healed a blind man by spitting on the ground and making clay with the saliva. Then he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay, and he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam. The man followed the instructions of Jesus, and he came back seeing. In Mark chapter 8, Jesus healed a blind man by putting saliva on his blinded eyes. Not mixing it with clay or mixing it in the dirt and forming clay, but directly by putting saliva on his blinded eyes. There was one occasion in the Gospels when Jesus may have healed a blind man by only speaking a word to him. Now let me mention some other differences. Not differences in the same account. Differences in the way Jesus did this. In John 9, Jesus initiated the healing. He was the one who initiated the whole thing. And nothing is said about the man having any faith. Jesus simply sovereignly chose to heal this man for his own purposes. Here in this text, the two blind men initiated the request for healing. And it is clear from this verse that Jesus based his healing on their faith. Now what is my point in mentioning all these different accounts of Jesus healing people's blindness and the different ways he went about it? My point is this. It illustrates the multifaceted mercy of our Lord and it dispels the common notion that if you don't do things exactly right in just a certain way, the Lord is not going to hear the cry of your heart. Or to say it another way, this reminds us that there isn't some magical pattern that we can follow to manipulate our sovereign Lord into doing what we want him to do. Jesus did it all sorts of different ways. Sometimes he initiated, sometimes the the sick person initiated. Sometimes faith was an issue, sometimes faith was not an issue. Sometimes it was by a word, sometimes it was by a touch, sometimes it was by saliva, sometimes it was by saliva in the ground, making clay, all sorts of different ways. There is no magical formula that you do it exactly this way and you'll get what you want. No, he is the sovereign one and he does what he does for purposes that are often beyond our understanding. So we need to be careful regarding our assumptions or even our conclusions that we draw from reading just one story like this. I'm sure I don't need to tell you that down through the centuries there have been people who believe that the Lord could heal their infirmity, but the Lord, for reasons known only to himself, chose not to heal their infirmity. Does it mean that all those people had less faith than these men? Not at all. In fact, they may have had more faith. But believing, please hear this, believing that Jesus can heal doesn't guarantee that he will heal. When he chooses not to heal, it doesn't mean that he is unloving. It doesn't mean that he he, he doesn't care. But it's a reminder that his ways And his purposes exceed our limited understanding. In this instance, the Lord chose to honor their faith by granting them their sight. 
And think about this fact. If you're just, if you're picturing the story in your mind, think about this fact. The first thing these men ever saw was Jesus. Assuming they had been blind all their lives. He was the first thing they saw. He touched their eyes and immediately their eyes received sight and there was Jesus standing before them. What what an amazing first thing to see. Then the last phrase of this verse tells us that these men joined the multitude of people who were headed up to Jerusalem with Jesus. They followed him. Luke also tells us, as Mark does here, that Jesus made the comment to Bartimaeus, your faith has saved you. Which probably means, now now stay with me on this, it probably means that the physical and spiritual eyes of Bartimaeus were opened at the same time. In other words, this seems to indicate that Bartimaeus, and maybe the other man also, Bartimaeus was healed physically and saved spiritually. As I mentioned earlier in the message, that wasn't always the case with the healings of Jesus. There were many people who were healed by Jesus throughout his ministry. They were healed physically, but they had no interest in the spiritual salvation Jesus came to give. There were many people who received his miraculous works or the, 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 the results of his miracles, as John 6 tells us about the multitude who were aware of the, him walking on the water and who experienced his multiplying of bread. So there, there were many times when people received Jesus' healing, his miraculous provision, or whatever it is, uh, but they had no interest in his spiritual salvation. None whatsoever. But there were times, there were other times when the two went hand in hand. This seems to have been one of those occasions, which is why the two men immediately followed Jesus. He was pleased to be able to give physical sight to the blind, but let me assure you, his greatest joy was to give spiritual sight to the spiritually blind. After all, physical blindness is a terrible thing, but it's only temporary. Spiritual blindness has eternal ramifications. In light of that, let me ask you this morning, can you see? Obviously, I don't mean physically. Can you see the greater need in your life? Can you see the need for salvation, the need for forgiveness, the need for mercy, which we've heard about this morning in song, the need for grace, which we've heard about? Do you see? Cry out to the Lord Jesus today, and he will open your spiritually blinded eyes and give you something far greater than physical sight. He will give you spiritual sight. Let's bow together this morning. As you bow your head this morning, just contemplating here in closing this fabulous story that Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record for us about how Jesus did have mercy on these two men, how Jesus did grant their request, how Jesus did give them sight, and how evidently, at least in the case of Bartimaeus, Jesus gave more than sight. He gave salvation. He gave forgiveness. He gave eternal life. Not just temporary sight, but eternal 
life. So again, I encourage you to look at your own life, your own spiritual condition, and ask the question, can you see? Can you really see clearly, spiritually? Can you see the need in your life for something far greater than physical sight? The need for eternal life. If so, just as these two men did, I would encourage you, call out to the Lord. Romans 10 says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Call on his name. Right right now, this morning, this moment, right there where you are seated, call out to the Lord for his mercy, his grace, his forgiveness, his salvation. And if you are a child of God whose eyes have been opened, then express your gratitude to, to the Lord. Gratitude that he's opened your spiritually blinded eyes to see, to see clearly, to see eternally. Father, it would be so easy for us to read this story, just as another story in the Gospels, because there are so many like this, and yet we dare not minimize this, the, 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 the wonder of this, for Bartimaeus and this other man to, to be able to have Jesus coming through, right through where they were. And to have this opportunity to cry out to him, to call out to him, to beg for mercy, and then to have Jesus stop. To stand still, even though he, his face was set to go to Jerusalem, to stand still and call them forward and to heal their blinded eyes. And in the case of Bartimaeus and maybe the other man, to open their spiritually blinded eyes. Lord, may this this grip us with the awe and the wonder that should accompany such a consideration of this story and what it meant to Bartimaeus and this other man. And as we reflect on that, to see in our own lives how in all we should be at what the Lord Jesus has done for us, to open our eyes spiritually, eternally. And Father, we would pray the same thing for anyone who has gathered here with us this morning who is spiritually blind, who cannot see clearly, cannot see what matters most clearly, can't see that eternity is far more important than anything that is temporal here on this earth. We pray that you would be willing to open their eyes, extend that mercy to them, open their eyes. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.